When I was a kid growing up in the 1980s and 90s, I remember hearing a lot about the end times. Um, I heard about things like the rapture and the great tribulation and the antichrist and different theories about um, how exactly the events of the end times were going to unfold. And a big part of the hype, especially during those decades, was uh, connected to a best-selling series of books in the 90s called Left Behind. Um, I don't know if any of you remember those, those books or read any of them. And there was also a movie, as you can see here, starring Kirk Cameron, uh, based on, on those movies. Um, that, that, that movie actually was rebooted just a few years ago in 2014, uh, starring Nicolas Cage. I just can't take him seriously when I see a, a picture like that. But, uh, but it was, uh, it, that, that movie flopped colossally at the box office. Um, but these, these movies and, and, uh, and, and books, they, they kind of represent a, a particular perspective on, um, on the end times. Um, and I think one of the reasons that there was so much talk about the end times, especially during the 80s and 90s, was the approach of the year 2000. Uh, if you remember kind of the hype leading up to that with Y2K, um, there was all kinds of anxiety and worry about what was going to happen when, when the year 2000 hit. Um, some people predicting the end of the world, which obviously didn't happen uh, 18 years later. You know, talk of the end times, I think, is not quite as popular today. Uh, but I think there's still kind of a fascination that even in our broader culture with this question about, you know, the end of the world. And, and some Christians actually get very um, kind of obsessed and, and, and wanting to kind of figure out how all the different passages in the Bible uh, fit together that talk about the end times. How does this, how do all these passages fit together? What is it going to be like? What are, what are those events going to look like? And one of the passages that, that does talk about the end times, very well known, is found in the book that we've been studying this, this summer, the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, last Sunday, we moved into the second half of this book where the Apostle Paul begins to address some very specific issues that um, seem particularly relevant to the church in Thessalonica. And a couple of those issues relate to the end times, relate to the, the time when Christ will return. And so in today's text, uh, we're going to see that Paul talks about the second coming of Christ. And we've been, even been singing about that a little bit in our, our songs, if you, if you noticed in the scripture reading that was read, talking about Jesus' return. Um, next week, in, in the text we'll look at next week, uh, Paul talks about the day of the Lord. And, and there's other elements of that that we'll look at next week. But I want, as we'll see in these, in these passages, um, we're going to see that Paul, he doesn't bring these, these passages, this, this topic up, to kind of fill out an end times timeline to try to give all these specifics about what's going to happen and when, kind of like the Left Behind series presents. But Paul is actually more concerned with the impact of the return of Christ and how it relates to how we live our lives today. How Christ's return actually should impact us and, and, and the way that we live, the way we deal with things in our lives. And today's text, we're going to see that specifically he brings up the return of Christ in terms of how Christians should deal with the death of fellow believers. When people who have died, what does Christ's second coming have to say in relation to that? Uh, so my sermon title this morning is Comfort from Christ's Coming. Uh, we're going to see that, that the purpose of the passage uh, and the purpose of, of Paul writing this was to bring comfort and to bring encouragement 
to the Thessalonians who were grieving the death of their fellow believers and who were also kind of confused about how Christ's return related to, to this, to the fact that some of their, their brothers and sisters had died. Um, and Paul, what he's, we're going to see, he grounds this comfort and encouragement in Christ's coming. And what that means is both he looks back to Christ's first coming, and then he also looks forward to Christ's second coming. Uh, so we're going to see how Paul fleshes that out in our, our text today and how this text can also bring comfort to our lives today as well. So our text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we'll be reading verses 13 through 18. Uh, we'll have those verses on the screen or you can follow along uh, in your Bibles. So Paul writes uh, to the church in Thessalonica, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that uh, you would use uh, your word that, that we've just heard, um, read and proclaimed, Lord, and that you'd open our ears to, um, to, to be encouraged and comforted, Lord, by your word to us today of the, promi- the, the, the sure foundation of your first coming and the sure promise of your second coming and that that would shape our minds and shape our lives. Um, and so we just pray that you'd speak to us now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at what Paul says in uh, this passage, I want to start with the problem. What was the problem that Paul was addressing in the church in Thessalonica with these verses, this particular passage? Well, in the, the first verse that, that I read, in verse 13, uh, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Uh, Now from this verse we can tell that that Paul was addressing a problem that had arisen as a result of people who had died. Um, As he mentions here, those who sleep in death. Some translations, the the original Greek just talks about falling asleep, but that's sort of a euphemism for for death, and he's talking about people who've died. Later in the passage, Paul references the dead in Christ and those who have fallen asleep in him. So he's specifically talking about Christians who have died. That's where his focus is, um, on believers in Christ who have died. And most likely, the real focus of why he's writing this is because of Christians who have died in that church, in the church of Thessalonica. Because at the end of the passage, he says, encourage one another with these words. So, so there, was, there was grief happening because of people who had, that they knew who had died. Now, Paul says that he doesn't want the Thessalonians to be uninformed about these believers who had died. Um, he wants to make sure that they don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So what it, what it seems to be is that there was some confusion in the church in Thessalonica about these believers who had died, that, that, that there was 
some ignorance that they had about what was going on with, with these believers who had died. And it was causing the Thessalonians to possibly grieve as if they had no hope. Um, and so the primary problems for the Thessalonians, just to kind of encapsulate this in a phrase, is the problem was they had confusion about death leading to the danger of grieving with no hope. Confusion about death, and specifically about the death of believers, and that was leading to the danger of grieving with no hope. Now this raises the question, what specifically were the Thessalonians confused about? What were they uninformed about that was related to the death of, unbelie- of, of believers? And why were they in danger of grieving with no hope? I mean, what was, what was this all about? Now, unfortunately, we don't know the answer to that question with certainty. Um, and there are many commentators that have spilled many pages of ink trying to debate about the specifics of what the situation was happening in, in the Thessalonian church that, that caused Paul to write this. But one of the things that Paul highlights in this passage that he kind of focuses on is what will happen to those who have died, specifically when Christ returns. And he, and he highlights their situation at that time in relation to those who are alive when Christ returns. And so Paul, if you, if you heard this when I was reading the passage, he, he emphasizes the dead in Christ will rise first. He says that in verse 16. And he, and he talks in verse 15 about that those who are alive will certainly not precede those who have died. So it seems like Paul is emphasizing that the believers who have died, they're not going to miss out on this second coming of Christ. You know? They're going to rise first. The, the, the ones who are alive, they're not going to proceed. He, he seems like he's addressing this concern that maybe the Thessalonians had about these believers who had died when Christ returned. Are they going to somehow miss out on this? or, or it, what's, what's happening? Why would he be making that specific point? Well, many commentators believe that the Thessalonians um, had expected Jesus to return before any of them died. That, that you know, when, when Paul preached Christ's return, he preached it as, and we're going to see next week, that Christ could return at any moment, right? There's this imminent, imminence of, of Christ's return. No one knows the day or hour. It could happen like a thief in the night, um, as we'll see in next week's passage. And so, it's possible that the people in, in the church, Paul didn't have a lot of time with the Thessalonians, if you remember that. He kind of had to rush out of the, the city because people were, were persecuting the people, right? And so Paul had a limited time with them. And so some commentators that think that maybe the, the people in the church in Thessalonica were expecting Christ to return, and that all of a sudden when these believers died, they were thrown into confusion and anxiety because they weren't expecting that to happen, for people to die before Christ's return. Um, People began to worry about the state of those believers who had died. What would happen to them when Christ did return? Now, we can't know with certainty that that was the reason that Paul addresses this issue the way he does. But what is clear, again, is that the Thessalonians had some confusion about death, about specifically believers who had died in relation to Christ's return. And it led to this danger of them grieving with no hope. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. Do we have a similar problem today? Is there confusion about death in our society? Absolutely. I mean, there are all kinds of theories that people have about what happens when a person dies. Some people say, that's it, right? Nothing happens after you die. This life is all there is. You talk to a lot of people in our society, and that's, that's what their response would be. 
Others, um, you know, from different religious traditions believe in reincarnation, that, that there's this process of being reborn in another life, another form. Others believe that, that everybody goes to heaven or some kind of afterlife, regardless of what you believe or what you've done, you know, just, hey, everybody's going to be there. Mormons talk about people ruling their own planets in the afterlife. So there is obviously some confusion about death in our society, right? There, people have all kinds of opinions about what, what's going to happen after, after death. And what about Christians? Is there confusion among Christians? Unfortunately, yes. Um, even among believers, there can be a lot of strange ideas that people have about what happens after death. I've talked to people in churches that, 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 that sometimes there's, there's, there's some confusion about this. Some people are, are, are influenced by the Catholic belief in purgatory, uh, where you have to work yourself into heaven, even in the afterlife, that there's somehow this, this holding pattern. Um, others talk about their loved ones becoming angels when they die. That's not in the Bible. People, we're not going to become angels. That, that, there's nothing in the scripture that talks about that. Sometimes Christians become more influenced by our culture, by just ideas that are out there, than actually what the Bible says. What does the Bible actually teach about death? What happens after death? So there's, there's confusion in our, in our world. Is there a danger, because of this confusion, of people, therefore, grieving with no hope? Yeah. Many people in our world do grieve with no hope. When someone dies, especially those who believe that, that that's it, there's no reason to hope after someone has died. If you think that, that's, that this life is all there is, and even for Christians, if we don't know what the Bible teaches on this subject, we can easily fall into this danger of grieving with no hope as well. The reason for that in, in our day and age might be different from what it was for the Thessalonians, um, you know, their expectations about the return of Christ, etc. But I hope you can see that what, what we're going to look at, what Paul, how Paul addresses the church in Thessalonica, is very relevant to us today too. Right? What Paul says speaks directly into our society, into our, our lives. We need to hear this word from God of what, um, of, about Christ's coming and how it relates to those who have died. So let's look at what Paul says to address this problem for the Thessalonians, how that relates to us. The first thing he does is he talks about the impact of Christ's first coming. Um, he points back to Christ's first coming. Um, he, he looks at uh, this in verse 14 when he says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And in verse 16, he says, the dead in Christ will rise. So in other words, the impact of Christ's first coming is that because Jesus died and rose again, believers in Christ who have died will be raised when Christ returns. There's a direct connection between Jesus' resurrection and his death and the future for those who have trusted in Christ, those who have died. The reason that, that believers in Christ can have hope in the face of death is because of Jesus' first coming, because of what he did when he died and rose again. Now, why is that? What, what's the significance? I want to just spell that out. You know, what is, when Paul says this, what does he mean? Well, when Jesus died... He was receiving the penalty that we deserve for our sins, which is what? Death, right? That's what we deserve 
from our sin. Jesus died in our place to take that death so that he could give us what? Life. Eternal life, right? With him forever. And so even though believers in Christ will still physically die because of Jesus' death on the cross, we will not die eternally, but we will be given eternal life in God's presence. And the Bible talks about that life in two ways for believers in Christ. First, it says that we will be with Christ the moment that we die. The moment that we die, we will be with Christ, with our Lord. Our body is dead, but our spirit or soul continues to live in the presence of God in heaven. That's the first thing the Bible gives is that assurance. The second thing it says is that one day our bodies will be raised to new life and that we will live forever in those resurrected, perfected bodies in what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. That one day Jesus will return and will establish a new reality, a new world, and that we will live in that world as embodied people with new bodies, resurrected bodies. And why can we believe that? Why can we have hope in that? Because of Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus was raised to a new, resurrected, perfected body. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, another letter that Paul wrote, he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. But Paul says there is, Christ is the firstfruits. He's, he's the beginning. He's the promise of what will come later. Jesus was raised to new life in a new body, and we too will be raised to new life in a new body, um, in our own resurrection. So for the Thessalonians who were in danger of grieving with, with, without hope over the death of those fellow believers, Paul says, brothers and sisters, Jesus died and rose again. And so who, all those who trust in Christ, because Jesus died, you will have eternal life. Because Jesus rose, you will rise. You will have a new body. There is no reason to grieve without hope. We have a hope, a hope of eternal life, a hope of resurrection. And so they might still grieve those who had died, but they could have a sure and confident hope for those believers. A hope that's grounded where? In Christ's first coming, in what he did when he died and he rose again. And guess what? The same is true for you and me. The same truth that Paul proclaimed to the Thessalonians, it's true for us too. This past Tuesday, I got a call from my dad telling me that my grandfather, my grandpa Olson, had died uh, this past week. And uh, so this passage, as I was studying it this week, was very relevant, very, very, spoke very personally to me as, as I was preparing this message. Now, for us, we, we knew that that day was coming. Um, my grandpa was 98 years old, uh, so he lived a long, full life. And amazingly, up until just about a year ago, He'd been living on his own, in his home. He was completely mentally clear. I mean, to be 97, praise God for that. That doesn't happen to everyone, right? We're grateful for that. Uh, but last fall, he had a stroke, and he was moved into a nursing facility. And over the past year, he kind of slowly declined, you know, mentally, physically. And we knew that his, his, his time here on earth was nearing its end. And so when I got that call from my dad on Tuesday, I wasn't surprised. We, we knew that this time was coming. And yet, I was still filled with grief when I got that call. 
um, at the loss of a grandfather who is so full of joy and kindness and gentleness and love. Um, Rochelle and the kids and I, we just loved going up to Connecticut to visit my grandpa. There was just something about him and his presence, um, being with him, that was so comforting to us. And so I'm going to miss him. Even though he lived a long life, I grieve. I miss him. Um, and so on Monday night, the night before he died, uh, I had heard from my dad that, that my grandpa, he hadn't been eating or drinking. Um, he was basically unconscious. And so again, we knew that this was, this was probably going to happen very, very soon. And so Rochelle and I, we decided, um, we decided to share this news with our son, with Lucas. Because um, Lucas loved his great-grandpa and loved spending time with him. And so we sat down, Lucas, that night as we are getting ready to, to have our prayers as a family and told him that great-grandpa was not doing very well, that he was probably going to die pretty soon. But then we told him, that Jesus was going to take great-grandpa to be with him in heaven. And that one day, we're going to be able to see him too when Jesus takes us there. And we've talked about heaven with Lucas before. And it's amazing. My son, he has this genuine just excitement and anticipation about that day, about heaven. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to see um, and And so when we told him that great-grandpa is going to be with Jesus in heaven... Man, that sounded really good to my son. Um, the only reason that I could have that conversation with my son is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's because of Jesus' first coming. The only reason that I have any hope that I will see my grandfather again is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. My grandpa trusted in Christ for his salvation. And so I have confidence that that right now, my grandpa is enjoying eternal life with his Savior. And that one day, my grandpa will be given a new resurrected body, one that will not grow tired or sick, one that will last forever. Because that's what Jesus has promised us. Now, when will that day come? When is my grandpa going to get that new body? When are, when are those who have died before us? Well, that leads to, to a, my final point. The hope of Christ's second coming. In verses 15 through 17 of our text, Paul describes what he calls the coming of the Lord. And in verse 16, he paints this vivid picture of this event. Um, in that verse, he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. First, man, imagine that. Then in verse 17, he describes another amazing image. He says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, as I mentioned uh, before, there, there, are, there are a lot of Christians, there are some Christians that have, um, when they hear that passage and, 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 and see this, and they, they, they think, I want to, I want to know all the specifics about, you know, when's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? What's going to happen before? What's going to happen after? And, and, and have searched the scriptures to try to put all these, these things together. And that's, that's not a bad thing. We want to search the scriptures to understand this, right? But who sometimes have, have gotten so caught up in all these details of, of, of spelling out um, these things that, that they can sometimes miss the actual point of this passage. Um, 
And even within that, that group of Christians, there's, there's a lot of disagreement about those specifics. I mean, you, you, if you, there are you know, people who, who really deeply care about this, fiercely debate whether what's described in this passage, what's sometimes called the rapture, is it going to be pre-tribulation? Is it going to be mid-tribulation? Is it going to be post-tribulation? And there's you know, debates about all these specifics. On the other hand, there are, there are other biblical scholars who, when they, when they look at the, a passage, this passage, they point out that there are significant parallels to what Paul describes here and what happened when a dignitary visited a city back in that culture, in, 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 in the Greek culture at the time. That when a dignitary would come to a city, there would be trumpets and fanfare and shouts as this dignitary is coming. And what would happen? The people of the city would go out to meet the dignitary. And then they would return into the city with him. And so is it possible that, that Paul was, was drawing on this imagery in that culture of, of, of what happened when he would see these, these kings and lords coming to the city? And he says, you know what? It's going to even be greater than that when the Lord comes. But there's going to be trumpets and, and blasts similar to that. And that, and that those of us who are here in the city, in, in, in the earth, we're going to go out and meet our Lord, those who are alive, those who are resurrected, you know, and, and we're going to welcome him to his reign on earth. Uh, that, that kind of um, interpretation is, is a little bit different, if I'm on, you know, than sometimes the, the popular image portrayed in the Left Behind series of, of Christians kind of disappearing from the earth with... Um, People left behind and airplanes crash and clothes are left crumpled on the floor and, and chaos ensues, right? To be honest, I'm not interested in getting into a debate about <laughs> the specifics of the interpretation of eschatological events because I think, again, part of the purpose of this passage, it's not about trying to specify all the details of this. Why does Paul bring this up? It's to make it clear to those who are grieving that those who they love who have died, they're going to be there when Christ returns. That they will be included in this great event. They will be risen from the dead. They will meet their Lord just as those who are alive at the time too. Um, Paul gives this description of Christ's second coming as a way to encourage and comfort the Thessalonians who have been grieving over the death of their fellow believers. So Paul, he, he not only points back to Christ's first coming, Jesus' death and resurrection, as the ground for their hope, but he also points forward to Christ's second coming as a way to encourage, comfort them in their grief, emphasizing that those who've died, they're going to meet the Lord too in his second coming. And so the, the, the bottom line that he gives at the end of verse 17, he says, no matter how it's all going to happen, he says at the end of the day, and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's the end, that's the end point, right? That we will be with the Lord forever. How does Christ's second coming bring comfort and encouragement in our lives today? Well, we too are given this, this same promise that when Christ returns, all believers who have died. You know what? We, we've been waiting for a while for that coming, right? 2,000 years, right? The Thessalonians, they were very close. We were, we've been, there's a lot of believers who have died in Christ over those 2,000 years. But guess what? Each and every one of them will be there. Each and every, every one of them will be raised to a new body to meet the Lord when he comes again to establish his kingdom in all of its fullness. And we too can know that, that, that those of us here who are here today who are trusting in Christ for salvation, we too will be with the Lord forever. 
Paul ends this passage by saying in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now I want you to notice, he doesn't say to them, be encouraged by these words, although he could have said that, and that's true too. But he says specifically, no, 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 I want you, Thessalonians, to encourage each other with these words. Now, don't just hear it from me, but use this, these promises, and encourage each other, especially in your grief, especially when you're going through a difficult time of loss. He wants them to actively encourage each other. So to end my sermon today, I want to try something a little different. I want us to do what Paul tells the Thessalonians to do. We are going to encourage each other with these words. So I want you to turn to someone next to you. Okay? Turn to to the person. If there's three of you, that's okay. You can face each other. All right? And I want you to repeat after me the words that Paul gave the Thessalonians that he also gave to us, okay? And you're going to say it to each other, all right? So say to that, the, the first thing he says is brother or sister. So look at who, who you're talking to. Is it a brother or a sister? Okay, let's say it together, ready? So, so brother, I do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so I believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray together and thank the Lord for this good news. Lord, we thank you that you have given these words to encourage one another. Lord, that uh, you have not left us with question marks, but you have been crystal clear in your word that because Jesus died and rose again, that we can have eternal life with you and that we too will rise one day when Christ returns. We thank you for the promise, the sure promise that you will return, Lord. We are still looking forward to that day. We know that you will do it, God, that you will one day return to bring about the fullness of your kingdom and that all who have trusted in you will be invited into that wonderful day to meet with you, Jesus and to be invited into your kingdom, to the new heavens and the new earth. We look forward to that day, God, and we pray that, that with that hope, God, that that would fill our, our hearts with joy to live out our lives today, God, with that hope, with that, that sure vision of where we're going, and that we'd be able to use that too, Lord, to help comfort one another, especially in moments where we may grieve. And so, Lord, we pray for all those in our midst, Lord, who may be grieving the loss of someone, in their life, who have died, who's died, Lord. I pray for my own family as we grieve my grandfather and for others, Lord, who may be grieving uh, a loved one. And we thank you that, that in our grief, God, we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope in this world, but that we have that hope because of what Jesus has done for us. And so let us encourage one another, Lord. Fill our hearts with joy and comfort 
Um, And we pray that you would comfort us too. In Jesus' name, amen.